That's me, shooting the cap and trade bill, because it was bad for West Virginia. I'm Joe Manchin, and I approve this message, because for me, it's all about West Virginia. I'm Brian Kemp. This is Jake, young man interested in one of my daughters. Yes, sir. Jake asked why I was running for governor. I said, one. Cap government spending. Two. Take a chainsaw to regulations. Three. Make Georgia number one for small business. And two things if you're going to date one of my daughters. Respect. And? A healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. We're going to get along just fine. Brian Kemp for governor. Hello and welcome to another edition of Joe's Media Corner. This week we're talking political ads. We just heard clips from two of them, both using guns. Those would be Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He's a Democrat running for re-election, taking aim at certain policies uh, in that ad, symbolically with his uh, rifle. And then, of course, Brian Kemp. He's the Secretary of State in Georgia, running for governor as the Republican. And that was a clip with him holding a gun in his lap, pointed at his daughter's boyfriend, and you heard the exchange there. He's all Second Amendment. But we're going to talk about what these political ads do, how they do it, are they working, and why we're seeing a lot more money spent than we have in the past. And to help us out with all of this, we're going to talk to two experts on the subject. Stephen Passwater, he's Vice President and General Manager of the Campaign Media Analysis Group at Kantar Media. And then Jacob Nyheisel, he's a University of Buffalo political science professor who study political ads, their impact, and creation. So let's talk to Stephen Passwater right now. And are you there, Steve? I'm here. Good to talk to you. Of course, you're Stephen Passwater, the Vice President and General Manager of the Campaign Media Analysis Group at Kantar Media. And what exactly does the uh, Campaign Media Analysis Group do? We are the uh, political ad intelligence uh, piece of Kantar Media. So what we do, track uh, all the political and advocacy advertising that goes on specifically on uh, broadcast, uh, local broadcast TV. We also do track it as uh, on national cable networks. Uh, We also do uh, track uh, digital advertising as well, both display and online video for both uh, desktop and mobile. So we get the, uh, we get the the job of uh, tracking uh, all the stuff that's out there and being set. And then who, who is your client? Uh, sort of an all of the above answer there. We um, we are a nonpartisan organization, obviously, so we work with both sides. We you know work with the, the Democrats and the Republicans at all kinds of different levels, uh, including uh, you know party. We also work on behalf of some of the PACs and media organizations, both on the sales and editorial side. Uh, we work with uh, some of the government, uh, you know, government watchdog organizations as well that like to keep track of uh, what the candidates are saying and uh, how much uh, they tend to be spending in uh, all these various races around the country. So it's a pretty diverse group of uh, clients that, that we service. And excellent. Of course, we're interested in the midterms that are coming up, and they seem to be getting a lot of interest this year. Uh, part and parcel because of Donald Trump. There's still a lot of divisiveness related to his uh, presidency. 
um, and a lot of both sides, Republicans and Democrats, looking to the midterms to maybe change things. Are we seeing more television ads, and are they that much different this round than they are during most midterms? We are seeing uh, an unprecedented amount of television advertising for a midterm election. This is really a case uh, where we've got kind of steel President Kennedy's old line. We're kind of seeing a, <clears throat> a rising tide lifting all boats. And I don't think there's probably anyone that's selling political advertising this year is going to be disappointed in what the results are going to be uh, once we start counting the money on November 7th. An incredibly robust year. And again, it really spans of local television, both broadcasting cable and digital advertising as well. Uh, digital will uh, be substantially up from 2014, as will you know, local broadcast and local cable. When you're talking digital, you're talking basically online and mobile and any anything that's not broadcast or cable television that's the handheld digital items or emails. Yeah, that's that's really all of the above. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, you know everything from online advertising on places like YouTube to Facebook and and Twitter. You know, down to local sites um, that are that are there too. It really is a kind of wide ranging, and certainly uh, anybody who uh, is keeping track of where people are spending time these days really interested in mobile since uh, most of us are wearing our phones as a uh, heart and lung machine almost these days sort of uh, seems to be performing almost every function for us so uh, obviously money tends to follow eyeballs in advertising and that's as true for a candidate as it is for Unilever or Procter and Gamble for that matter but there's still a lot of broadcast television and cable advertising in these in these races most certainly there is probably to the chagrin of the digital folks um, there is just so much money being plowed into television this year that the amount of money that we're talking about, um, local cable will actually do better this year than they did in 2016. And broadcast probably won't do what it did in 2016, but it's going to be close. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of money we're talking about here. But comparing, obviously, midterms to a presidential year, you wouldn't get the same, I would assume. You'd probably more compare it to four years ago and four years before that. Now, four years ago, we had a lame duck president in terms of, you know, Obama wasn't going to be able to run again. How was the? How would you compare the advertising this year? What percentage is it up uh, ballpark in terms of compared to maybe four years ago or the four years before that? We had a, a similar situation in that Obama was a first-term president and uh, he was facing his first midterms. Um, how much more are we seeing this year than compared to similar midterm? Yeah, sure. So, Joe, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw some numbers at you here. If we look at, uh, and these are numbers that we've released uh, publicly. Sure. We, when we first came into this cycle uh, in 2014, we'll just do local broadcast um, mm-hmm. to, to start with. Local broadcast did about $2.1 billion four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we originally projected $2.4 billion. And we've now raised that estimate to $2.7 billion, which is a sizable increase. I mean, you're almost talking 30%. Mm-hmm. Over, uh, four two, over four years ago. Over four years ago, right. You look at local cable, four years ago, local cable did $600 million. They will probably crawl over the billion-dollar mark this year, uh, maybe you know, a billion and some change. 
So just looking at that, you're looking at somewhere, you know, high 60s to low 70% growth in local cable and digital. If you just look at the advertising piece of it, if you don't look at some of the ancillary things mm -hmm. that kind of count as digital, which would be kind of the email and things like that. But we just look at true advertising on uh, on the web. I think the estimates four years ago were about $250 million. And uh, this year, when it's all said and done, it will approach a billion dollars. So these are enormous increases over what was done uh, back in 2014. I mean, these are some these are some serious growth numbers. Is this money coming from somewhere else that were, that used to be used in other areas, or is this just an overall increase in money being spent? Because I would think TV advertising was always the uh, leader in in midterms and congressional races, or is that not necessarily true? No, that's still very much true. Yeah. Uh, local TV, good old linear TV, um, still is the king when it comes to political advertising, and there are clearly reasons for that. That uh, have put it there. So I think um, its place as the uh, you know top advertising uh, venue is uh, you know so, so far not really being challenged. I think moreover you, you know is there more money in the system? I think the answer is clearly yes. Uh, there's been a lot of energy in the opposition this year, and there's uh, you know I think the Democrats uh, at least at party level have outraised the Republicans, but you know there's also been a shift in where the money gets spent. If you think about how we've all you know we've maybe tended to look at the advertising traditionally, it's historically was sort of dictated by the candidate, mm -hmm. and of course the candidates are protected by lowest unit rate uh, guarantees in in local television, but. What we've seen happen over the last few cycles is that the spending is now being dominated by the PACs, and the PACs do not get those same lowest unit rate protections, mm -hmm. and therefore the stations will charge them a much higher rate than they charge the candidates. So as opposed to getting maybe a few hundred dollars for, for a commercial that you may have been able to get historically, now you may be getting $1,000 or $1,500. So that has also really helped pick up the pace and the total of spending that's going on uh, where TV is concerned, because there isn't any more inventory. Uh, mm -hmm. Local television and is a very much supply and demand business, and the inventory doesn't grow, uh, although you know it may find a few more places to be put during an election cycle, but it's not like we're talking about a massive expansion of TV inventory. That's not the case. For those who don't understand what lowest unit rate is, explain that. If Candidates, uh, whatever the lowest rate is, let's say we're talking about a, a local news, you know, right. a local 6 o'clock newscast, the station will have to charge the candidate whatever the lowest rate is that is in that newscast. And that's a requirement so, of the FCC, uh, or that—that that is a—that is a requirement of the FCC. Right. Candidates are entitled to that uh, lowest unit rate, and that keeps and, everything uh, equal. I assume. I think that's the—that's the, the, uh, that's yeah. the thought. Or you could, you know, or you could call it kind of a, uh, uh, you know, hey, we decided to vote ourselves a break. <laughs> I could see that um, as well. Which, you know, right? Yeah. So that's you know, so that that's part of it. But that and, doesn't. Uh, uh, patients uh, have to do that. That does not extend to the PACs. Right. Okay. The PACs do not get those same protections that a candidate gets, and therefore the station and um, the agency that is placing it on behalf of that uh, 
uh, super PAC mm-hmm. um, will have to pay whatever the prevailing market rates dictate. So they do not get, uh, you know, they they go pretty much to the top of the rate card. Yeah. And particularly if you consider the fact that in order to clear that spot, you may have to preempt the spot of a local car dealership who's with you 365 days a year, right. and you have to preempt them and try to find them another place. Um, so I think stations are uh, stations and agencies are wise to, to how the game is played, but PACs are always going to pay a, a fairly significant rate. And what percentage do you think uh, of the TV advertising is the candidates' funds and the PACs? How does that sort of split these days? You know, in 16, I think it was like 60-40 in yeah. favor of the PACs, yeah. um, and I tend to think it's probably going to think it'll probably be higher in favor of the PACs this time. I think the percentage will go up yet again. The only thing that might offset is, you know, we do have a few billionaires out there who are uh, investing significant parts of their personal fortune oh, yeah. in order to run for political office, right? You know, we've got uh, two billionaires in Illinois that are squaring off for what could arguably be the worst job in America, one that I don't even think Mike Rowe would want to get his hands on. So there are some cases where, you know, you do have these candidates who have a pretty vast uh, amount of their own money that they can uh, they can sink into a campaign. But for the most part, you know, the PACs are really kind of calling the ball when it comes to uh, the spend. And we've seen a lot, and you've probably seen a lot of the comparisons of different kinds of ads. You're seeing the personal stories. I know there's a lot of veterans when they run. They're talking about their time, the service they've had. You've seen several, uh, they've been talked about gun ads where they're firing off the guns either to show their pro-gun rights or to make a symbolic uh, move. And several are still naming uh, President Trump and trying to get along with his coattails. Is there any? Is there more or less negative than in the past? And is there one overwhelming kind of trend that seems to be formula or is it still very local and specific to the candidate and the place depending on how they want to focus things you know you still do see some truly local issues that will make their way into ads but it's pretty obvious to me that the two parties have done a significant amount of polling because there are some real common themes that are showing up for mm-hmm. both sides, right? For the Democrats, it after running away from health care for a while, they are now running back after it mm-hmm. with, uh, with abandon. So there are a lot of ads talking about how the candidate on the other side has voted to gut pre-existing conditions, has sabotaged the health care market, you know, wants to charge older Americans, uh, you know, the age tax as the AARP did, and then that will point out just how much money that particular candidate has taken from PACs or from the insurance industry or from the pharmaceutical industry. And then, you know, they pretty much now represent them and they don't represent us. Um, That's been a pretty common theme uh, that have been running through the ads that are being done by Democrats. And it's not just in the House. It's also in the Senate. It's also in the governor's races, too. It's kind of a theme that resonates throughout an awful lot of the advertising that's going on. And then on the other hand, the Republicans are kind of running on the immigration and that, you know, their opponent uh, is for sanctuary cities. And that would necessarily allow would not make make us very safe. And that, uh, you know, in recent weeks that uh, the candidate on the Democratic side is in in for, you know, a government run health care program and the cost that that would entail and how that would tend to raise income taxes. 
uh, you know, the Democrat ads are also hitting at the Republicans for the tax cut and that, uh, you know, you know, the benefits skew uh, disproportionately to the top one percent, that it's raised the deficit by two trillion dollars somewhere in that neighborhood. And that in order to pay for it, they're going to have to cut Medicare and Social Security in order to pay for it. It seems this recent week the president has has come off some some uh, successes. Obviously, the Brett Kavanaugh appointment, although it had its its negative, he came out with the win. And then there was a recent approval rating increase. The week we're talking uh, had him slightly up, although still below half, but higher than he was. And how much are Republicans using him in their ads? And conversely, how much are Democrats attacking him? I haven't seen a lot of that, but of course, I haven't seen as many ads as you have. So I think in there are certain places around the country where the Trump appeal is undeniable mm-hmm. and candidates are, you know, so you look at Patrick Morrissey in West Virginia and Morrissey is obviously running towards Trump because Trump won that state by, I think, a million, <laughs> like a million points. I mean, it wasn't even close, as we all know. So there are, you know, there are the, the Patrick Morrisseys and, you know, the Kevin Kramers in North Dakota who are very much running towards Trump or there are certain people that are saying, you know, hey, I'm all in on the Trump agenda. So there clearly are places around the country where there is an attempt to use the Trump coattails in order to propel a candidacy. And on the other side, I think you're right. I haven't seen very many specific, you know, Donald Trump is a danger to the Republic kind of ads, but there are, you know, in some of these districts that may be more purple than red or blue, there is an attempt to kind of say, well, you know, hey, look, this candidate votes with the president, you know, in, in some amount in the, you know, 95 to 100 percent. And therefore, you know, this person is really a Trump, a Trump person. I know uh, the candidate, good class example, the candidate, uh, the Democratic candidate here in Virginia 10, which is in my backyard here, very much, you know, she's even joking referring to Congresswoman Comstock as Congresswoman Trump stock because he, she votes with him 98% of the time. So that's kind of more of the, the, the kind of tactic that you kind of see more in play. And it's not necessarily attacking the president, uh, although it certainly does have an, over, an overarching theme that his agenda is not a good one, but really attempting to tie the candidate, uh, particularly if it's somebody in the House or Senate, to how much um, they vote for the Trump agenda. When the Justice Kavanaugh hearings were going on, there was such uproar and outcry and protest and anger. and I, was, I haven't seen a lot of that transfer into ads attacking Trump or attacking Republican candidates in in light of, of Kavanaugh or, or even the Me Too elements. Is that something that's surprising or are those maybe yet to come in the last weeks? The Kavanaugh opposition really focused on two senators, right. uh, neither of whom is up for re-election. So, you know, they really went hard after Collins and Murkowski there were some limited ads in places like Colorado and Nevada and, uh, and Arizona in order to try to influence, you know, Gardner and, uh, and Flake and maybe Dean Heller. But those were relatively small investments compared to the money that was being spent by, you know, uh, Demand Justice and the, you know, in the ACLU in Alaska and, and Maine. I mean, they really focused their efforts there to try to flip those two Republican senators. So there has been some limited use of the Kavanaugh situation. A few of the Republican candidates have uh, referenced, you know, kind of the liberal mob and what was done to uh, to Kavanaugh 
and that we really need to prevent that. I should also mention that as much as Trump has played a role in Democratic ads, Nancy Pelosi is playing the same role in Republican ads. Um, and that they're attacking a lot of discussion. Yeah, yeah, or they're trying to tie the candidate to the fact that, you know, Nancy Pelosi's money is going to help elect this person, and mm. therefore, you know, this candidate is going to follow the Pelosi agenda, and this is what that means, you know, higher taxes, mm. you know, open borders, yada, yada, yada. So and there's obviously a feeling among Democrats, they want to flip the House, they want to flip the Senate, and there is underlying belief by some that that would lead to impeachment of Trump. But we're not seeing that yes. in the ads, really. Is that because you, you shoot too high and start talking impeachment, that backfires? Or is that just not a real issue for many? The idea of, of flipping the House and flipping the Senate might lead to re removing Trump. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's come up in a few places, yeah. but it's not coming up. It's not coming up in a lot of places. And again, I'm not necessarily sure that uh, I don't know how the Democrats feel about whether, you know, Biden just famously said to the point, well, I hope, you know, when he was asked about it, he goes, well, I kind of hope, you know, I hope they don't do that. And I think at least in the leadership, it seems from what I've heard and read that, you know, that that's not something that um, I think they necessarily want to put on the front burner. And it hasn't really come up. Uh, on the front burner very much. You know, you're always going to find a candidate or two that'll try to exploit the issue on either side. But is it a widespread thing? No, absolutely not. And back to the general uh, advertising and negative advertising. Um, I live in New Jersey, and I all I've seen is uh, Bob Hugan. And, um, and it's funny because with Hugan, you know, he has the uh, pharmaceutical background. You have a certain yeah. number of ads that he's running that promote you know, that work that his company's done. And then you have Menendez ads basically attacking him for the same thing. Um, and then you have human right. ads attacking Menendez because of his his legal uh, problems he had. And then, of course, Menendez trying to counter that. But it just seems like they're all they're doing is going after each other. Is that still effective? Well, you know, I think there's all kinds of research out there yeah. um, when it comes to do these ads work or not. And I think the prevailing wisdom has been that the pack ads perhaps are not as effective as the candidate ads and mm -hmm. the negative ads candidates run are more effective. You know, so the Menendez ads would be, by example, um, you know, just as way of example, not to say this one way or the other, but that then maybe Senate majority pack uh, coming in and... Uh, mm -hmm going after Hugan for his pharmaceutical background and the fact he overcharged cancer patients or, you know, whatever the charge du jour mm. happens to be, that, you know, the, the, the ads that Menendez would run would seemingly be more effective than, their, than the ads that SMP would be running. And, and, yeah, I mean, look, you know, as we get down to the last final weeks and the race tightens up, is there always going to be a tendency to want to go negative? Oh, most assuredly, you know, and negative ads are, uh, you know, they're everywhere. And it's not just the PACs that are doing it, because generally speaking, the candidates like to stay warm and fuzzy and they let the PACs be the hammer. But, you know, right now, um, you know, everybody's uh, being the hammer. So there's, uh, you know, it's a competitive and it's a, it's a competitive midterm. There are an enormous amount of competitive seats. Look at how many open governor's races we have this time around because we've got a lot of term-limited governors, you know, Florida and Ohio and Michigan and Minnesota and California and uh, Nevada and, uh, you know, on and on and on and on where we've got these open governor's seats um, going on, too, in addition to the heightened competitiveness of the House and, uh, you know, the Senate map, which uh, everybody thinks is 
you know, much more in favor, obviously, of the Republicans than it is the Democrats. Again, does it get to the point where you have overkill? You said there's more advertising than ever, more money into it than ever. Does it get to the point where they just sort of block each other out and a lot of people just get sick of them and, and, and tune them out? Or does that not really happen yet? Do they still have effectiveness when it's over and over and over again? You know, that's a great question. And I'm not a... Uh... I'm not an ad effectiveness researcher, so I'm probably unqualified to offer you anything uh, anything there that's uh, that's too definitive. But obviously, um, we have a lot of advertisers in the political realm that believe in frequency, and frequency, and frequency, and frequency, and frequency, and you know how they're how they're going at it. You know, I kind of choke. One of my agency friends here in D.C. Uh, refers to elections as one-day sales, and everybody's got to make sure that uh, they get their pitches in there to make sure, you know, you make the right decision when it comes to that one-day sale that's happening on November 6th. And is there any thought on when do you see more uh, advertising, obviously the last week, even the last days, or has that even expanded in recent times because there's so much more money? People are just dumping the money in, and ads are running constantly now, and, you know, we're, uh, I guess, two weeks away from Election Day. Or is the frequency about what it's been? Well, probably some places around the country where inventory pretty much non-existent. There are some markets where the cost of advertising right now on television is unbelievably high. And it's just because there's these are the really busy places and uh, there's so much money in there already that essentially you're going to have to preempt somebody in order to get them on. In order to do that, somebody's going to have to pay an awful lot of money in order to get on. So... You know, whether that opens up for other forms of advertising get involved or the radio guys end up getting a little more money than they would have simply because it's so sold out that there's there's just no other there's no place to go. There will certainly be, you know, a lot of there were a fair amount of candidates, particularly in the in the places where we would have thought and the packs that actually bought backwards. Um, they started buying the week before Election Day very early. So at least they would have the inventory reserved and then could make a judgment later that, you know, if they had to pay more for it because the demand went up, at least they would be able to make the decision to either do that or not, as opposed to trying to go in and, you know, kind of being told, well, gosh, we don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, it's going to cost you this just to get the spots to clear. Are we going to continue in certain places to see nothing but political ads for the next two weeks? Oh, yeah, most assuredly. But I think, you know, it's so busy in some places that, you know, some of the media that may not necessarily play much of a primary role will probably benefit from uh, from some spillover. We've been talking to Stephen Passwader, the vice president and general manager of the Campaign Media Analysis Group at Cantar Media. Thank you so much for your time, sir, and your insights. And uh, we may bother you again. And I'm sure, of course, political advertising isn't going away anytime soon. <laughs> no, uh, no, it, uh, it, 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 it certainly isn't. Um, there, are, there are some things in this world uh, we can definitely count on. And I think uh, I think that's one of them. And uh, Thanks for your time, Joe. It was a pleasure chatting. You too, sir. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye. Now let's get a little different insight from Jacob Neheisel from the University of Buffalo. He's a political science professor and has a little different take, questioning some of the impact and effectiveness of the negative ads and other approaches that many seem to be taking just because that's the common practice. Here we go with Professor Neheisel. And hello, Professor. Are you there? Yes, I am. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for talking to us. Of course, you're a political science professor at the University of Buffalo, but you also have done uh, analysis of political advertising. I wanted to just get your take in general. We're understanding from Cantar Media, who we just spoke to, 
that there's more money in political advertising on TV and on digital than ever before. And wanted to get your take. What what is sort of the impact that it's seen, and why do you think it's still the major go-to spot, especially during midterms? What is it about that effectiveness that still seems to resonate? I think most analysts would say that the the impact of ads in terms of changing minds is is likely minimal. There is an effect that is typically detectable. That's often going to be at the margins. Of course, the the response to that from the campaign professionals is going to be that campaigns are, are won and lost at the margins, and so. It is certainly something that I think most professionals believe that they need to have, if nothing else, to project a sense of viability. Um, it's just what candidates do, and effective candidates run advertising. And I think that's a, an effect that we have a difficult time measuring, but is, is perhaps equally as important as the effect that it might have on changing minds. And so they're going after not necessarily the uh, decided voter, but the undecided, or perhaps is this a time when there are more undecided voters than in the past? Great question. Um, I think that ads may have the potential to mobilize, again, at the margins uh, among those decided voters and or demobilize among a certain segment of the electorate. There's some work out there on the timing of particularly campaign negativity suggests that after you've decided to support someone, but before you've been able to implement that decision, negativity that you encounter about your preferred candidate actually does tend to have more of a demobilizing effect. And so the timing of things like negativity about your preferred candidate are going to matter in terms of what happens with respect to, to turnouts. But in terms of the, the aggregate, um, I don't think there's a lot of suggesting a huge turnout effect uh, as a result of, of political ads. So it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag there. The negative ad may keep someone from voting for the person they had chosen, but not necessarily to vote for someone else, perhaps stay home or not vote at all in that race. So this is a, a long debate in the, the academic literature going back to, gosh, the mid-1990s, uh, when you had work of an experimental nature showing a propensity to demobilize, and then a great deal of work in the aggregate using data from, from CMAG and, and Cantor and other sources, uh, including the Nielsen data, suggesting that really there's there's not much of an effect at all. And then finally, you get a little bit of uh, resolution when you appeal to some sort of political psychological constructs such as you know, ambivalence and the like, and you see very narrow slices where that negativity can, can matter. And I think that uh, coupled with research suggesting that the effect of any given ad is actually pretty short-lived. People have very, very short memories. The absolute upper bound is probably something on the order of two weeks. Uh, that explains why you see this huge bump in advertising in the last couple weeks of the campaign, predominantly negative advertising. Uh, candidates having already sort of defined themselves and defined their candidate, their opponents, um, earlier in the race. So we're at a time, we're about two weeks away from the midterms, and these are very serious midterms for many. There's a lot of attention, there's a lot of coverage. Obviously, it's a referendum on Trump in many ways. It's a referendum on Congress. Will the Congress flip the House? Will they flip Senate and the House or neither? But you're saying that the last couple of weeks, the negative ad may have more impact than any other kind of ad? Or are they all very limited at this point when there's only two weeks left? The difficult part of that is sussing out uh, what the effect is when they're going to predominantly be negative. If, if there's no variance in the tonality of the campaign for the most part, it's going to be very difficult because the conventional wisdom and some of the academic research supports this is you go negative late and that's typically what campaigns are doing. And so uh, it is difficult to, to really nail down what the effect is uh, of that kind of strategy. 
when there isn't a lot of variance on it. So why do most go negative? Is it thought there is an effect, even if it's minimal, or people just assume that it'll scare someone away from the other guy or, or woman versus supporting your candidate? I think it's a combination of both. You know, it's anyone's guess as to how much the campaigns are really paying attention to the academic work on these subjects. But I think the conventional wisdom within the campaign environment is, you know, that's the time to, to really hammer home a particular message and often that message is going to be negative. Another reason why negative ads are often thought to be more effective is they're more informative. Positive ads, you know, you trot out the family in khakis behind your house or, or the white picket fence or whatnot, and a pure promote ad that doesn't have a lot of policy information. Mm-hmm. Whereas on balance, negative ads contain more in the way of policy. And so. It's unclear whether it's the tone driving that or they're just more informative. Is it something that is considered defective and that's why we see more of them? And will that change any times? I think at the margins they work, um, but also that's really hard to disentangle again from it's just what campaigns and candidates do. And uh, a lot of what they do is, I think Paul Begala had this great quote that I trot out now and again, campaign strategy is um, dimly remembered anecdote or thinly disguised salesmanship. And... Uh, what worked in the past is what they're going to go for with in the future, and um, the the candidates in, in many ways are still fighting the last war. In the last war, negative advertising played a, a huge role. And, of course, Paul Begala was one of Bill Clinton's campaign managers uh, who worked with James Carville. Um, if you were going to start from the ground up to utilize political ads as best you could, what would be your approach? Would it be maybe less negativism or more or... Is it still kind of an unknown in many ways? It's still kind of an unknown in some ways, and it would depend on the dictates of the race. I think that there are local dynamics that are going to play into how effective any given advertising strategy is. For some candidates, I'm not really sure it's it's worth the cost of admission, particularly candidates in very expensive media markets. Uh, I think they might have a better bang for your buck, if you will, if they went toward more micro-targeted online approaches through social media or other channels rather than these broadcast advertisements that are somewhat difficult to, to tailor to particular populations. So what is the other alternative then if it's not? Now, as we would said, political advertising on TV and cable and digital is higher than ever. But what are the alternatives that might work better or might give you a little different approach that maybe aren't being used as much? I think that's that's ground game uh, is is really the the alternative. Uh, it's certainly a costly one, it's an expensive one, um, but I think that the bulk of the research out there shows that you know in terms of dollars spent, it is more efficacious than being up on the airwaves. And so, you know, there are are some little tips and tricks within that that academics have been exploring. Uh, the problem is that they're often very difficult to implement, and they tend to be. Uh, a fairly costly strategy. So even though we think of advertising as the the huge expense, you still get more eyeballs on some message, any message, than maybe targeted efforts at hitting them, uh, you know, in their ground game. And how much does it get to be too much after a while? I mean, I'm in New Jersey, and we're getting hit over the head with uh, the Senate race here, Bob Menendez and, and Bob Hugan, and then a couple of really battled the congressional races, and you turn on the TV and you just get inundated to the point where it, do they block each other out, or is the uh, saturation still effective at some point? I think there are certainly diminishing returns at a certain point. Um, you know, there's only so much we can handle before we we start to, to tune out. Um, it's just 
part of human nature is, you know, once we have a decision, we want to do things to reinforce that decision. And so we will use motivated reasoning and other techniques available to us to, to reinforce our position just to kind of stem the information tide. So I definitely think that there are limits to uh, how effective this can be overall. If everyone's employing advertising and it just becomes a giant arms race, there's probably probably diminishing returns at the upper end. And now, how much has early voting affected things? And a lot, Now, it's not as widespread as maybe it will be, or is it? Are more people casting ballots earlier and that maybe affects how they try to be reached by the candidates? That's a, a great question, and um, I think that early voting is on the rise. Uh, I saw a few figures yesterday that suggest that it's really kind of almost on par with 2016, which is something to say uh, as a midterm approaches the, the level of voting we see in a, in a presidential. Um, there's a couple pieces out there that I'm aware of in the academic literature that suggest that campaigns actually take advantage of this. They ramp up their advertising buys in places with early voting, and then when early voting cuts off for a while, which is fairly typical in an early voting state, they um, cut off early voting so that the, the poll books can be kind of recalculated and created in advance of election day. Then you see a drawdown in advertising. And so they're most certainly taking advantage of institutions like early voting. So could that be why we've seen more money in the political ads and broadcasting is because maybe they're doing it earlier in certain spots? I think that's, that's a likely outcome. I haven't seen the data, but uh, that's my assumption. Well, thank Professor Nieheisel. And uh, you're from uh, the University of Buffalo, of course, political science professor and political advertising, political communication expert. Thank you for your time. We will probably uh, reach out to you again in uh, other forms as this is, political ads are not going away anytime soon. <laughs> they are not. Thanks for, for calling me. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, sir. And that's it for this week's edition of Joe's Media Corner. Make sure to tune in again next time for more media issues and answers and check out all our episodes online. Thanks for listening.